Hey folks, happy Halloween. I just have a quick note before we get started. I recently worked on a small indie game that is out now called Zero Visibility. I co-wrote the soundtrack and did a little bit of uh, additional dialogue writing as well. It's a short horror adventure, and it's uh, it's really, really cool. It was really fun to be a part of. So, uh, you can find it for free on itch.io. Again, the game is called Zero Visibility, so uh, check it out when you have a minute. And yeah, have a great Halloween. Here's the episode. Uh, hello, all, and welcome to Return to the Telepodcast, the podcast about horror movies and their sequels slash remakes, uh, most often shitty sequels slash remakes. My name is uh, Kevin Toronto Cheveria, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Bryce Patterson. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. So today we are going to talk about the 1973 film. The Exorcist, and it's 1977. 77, right? Yeah, 77. I think so. That feels right. 1977 sequel, The Exorcist 2. The Heretic. The Heretic. It's a really weird um, subtitle for it, because that whole idea of heresy never really shows up in the second movie. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that while we were watching it of like, who's the heretic? And I think it's saying that Father Marin is, but I don't know, I have I have notes on it. (laughs) So we might get to that when we get to the summary. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. So (laughs) uh, for potential first time viewers, the premise of this show is that me and Bryce kind of chat about a famous horror movie. And it's less than stellar sequel or remake. And then we pitch ideas for how we would make a sequel or a remake to the original movie that would be more successful, in our opinions. Really quick, what um, like what's your history with The Exorcist? All right. So I first watched it like when I was like 16, 17, which I feel like is prime age to watch The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. Um. I watched it on Netflix because it was on it, uh, just like by myself in the dark in my parents' room, which is how I watched a lot of uh, classic horror movies. And after I watched it, I thought it was hilarious. I liked it. I liked it a lot, and I still like The Exorcist a lot. It's like legitimately like a good structured movie. Yeah. But it is kind of hilarious. Like Satan as a character is like, amazing like comic fodder and i love him you know it's funny i actually had a similar the first time i watched the exorcist was alone in my parents basement on netflix mm-hmm. um and at the time uh i grew up super super religious so like looking back i'm not sure like how how much i i believed in like literal demons at that right. point but it was i mean it was not funny for me right. i uh, i remember just feeling like deeply disturbed and like kind of grossed out by it you know like the the scene where uh she's like fucking the crucifix like really messed me up (laughs) as a teenager i thought that was so funny you grew up like pretty hardcore protestant didn't you yeah yeah i mean technically non-denominational so like protestant protestant yeah i grew up uh catholic although not extremely fervently catholic so like watching it i didn't really care about any of the blasphemous stuff because like i was 16 and like 
fairly Catholic at all. But like I got a lot of the Catholic symbolism, things like that, because I just grew up with it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? Because like it's a movie made by devout Catholics, both right. uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel and the screenplay, and uh, William Friedkin, both were I yeah devout Catholics who kind of saw the movie as on some level evangelical, right? Uh, which is hilarious to me because it's so uh, so extreme. Yeah, yeah, it is. I I kind of see it like from a religious standpoint, fairly pro Catholic, but like in a very odd sense. Like Catholics don't. I mean, Catholics perform exorcisms. It's a thing, but like it's very rare especially nowadays, like it's something that's super archaic and like the Catholic church is kind of like trying to move past that. So it's weird that they're like the filmmakers are like putting that front and center and being like, this is why Catholicism's cool because we can literally exercise demons. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny, right? Cause that's even, I mean, this might segue really nicely <laughs> into the summary of the first film, but like right. even in 73 at the release of the film, you know, it's an important plot point that like, exorcism is this kind of archaic ritual that like most people don't believe in and the church is kind of like trying to move away from yeah yeah in real life it's not something that's performed often uh at least not performed like through the official channels often because like actually the way in which father like Karis went through the channels in order to get approval for an exorcism is fairly accurate to how like a priest would actually do that there's a lot of bureaucracy in Catholicism, which I really like that they actually went through all of that. It's a very bureaucratic religion. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, and that I think speaks to kind of like the the structure of the movie being really interesting that the exorcism itself is a relatively small part, right? It's right. really only the third act. Um, but yeah, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right. So the film starts out in northern Iraq. Their Catholic priest, uh, Lancaster Marin, uh, is in the middle of an architect um, archaeological dig uh, to unearth religious things, pretty much. On that dig, he finds a statue of a demon who we never actually find out in this film what that is. We're just kind of like supposed to assume it's Satan. Because this demon's only ever referred to as Satan. Kind of a spoiler for the second film, but it's actually a statue of Pazuzu, which is a specific demon, but in this film it doesn't matter apparently. But he finds a statue of Pazuzu slash Satan. Um, and then we just like, after that, hard cut into a Georgetown in the US uh, where we follow actress uh, Chris McNeil as she is working on a film with her friend Brooke Dennings. Uh, she's living there temporarily while she is acting. Uh, she's living there with her servants, one of which is a Nazi butler, and her daughter, Reagan. Reagan is very annoying and very bad at art. Yes. I hate her. Uh, so they're spending some time there. They have a party there. Their priests like Damien Carras, uh, also in the Georgetown area. We just kind of cut to him kind of suddenly. Uh he visits his mother in hospital. She's kind of staying there uh, due to like un really not very clear 
mental problems that she has. But he's visiting his mom. He visits his mom at her apartment first, and then she eventually gets transferred into a hospital. Uh, so we follow him for a hot second. He's a priest. Uh, he's kind of a shitty priest. He's very much someone who's like battling with his like faith, his belief system, going to bars, uh, drinking alcohol, smoking, all of which are things that priests are not supposed to do. Yeah, and the entire time all of that's happening in the background, there's just this like weird amount of like devilly stuff happening as well. Uh, probably one of my favorites is the uh, random like not destruction necessarily, but like vandalism of like a Virgin Mary statue at a church. Mm-hmm. Someone just like drove a giant stake through her. Um, so everyone's kind of uh, freaking out a little bit. Uh, Chris has a party with her friends. Suddenly Reagan kind of appears. I think her literal like things that she says is like someone's going to die sooner. Like you're not going to make it through the night, something like that. Then she just pees on the carpet. It's pretty great. Uh, but after that, Reagan just becomes worse and worse. Uh, she starts like swearing at people being kind of violent. Her mom takes her to multiple psychiatrists and doctors. Uh, she goes through a lot of treatments, imaging, things like that. None of it helps. Uh, so eventually, like a bunch of psychiatrists just kind of recommend she go seek a priest to perform an exorcism. So Chris does that. Uh, she seeks out uh, Father Karras because he's like the only person in this whole area who's like both a psychiatrist and a priest and like knows a lot about demonic possession, apparently. Chris seeks him out to visit Reagan. Uh, they meet. She does all this freaky shit like vomiting on him reacting violently to like holy water doing freaky possessed things after a couple of meetings father Karras kind of like determines that she is possessed or at least meets the criteria for possession so he goes through the official channels of the catholic church to like get an exorcism placed upon her the catholic church comes back with uh father marin who is actually like qualified to do this and father Karras is there helping him so during the exorcism, lots of holy water, lots of prayers, lots of uh, Reagan devil Pazuzu being violent and disgusting. Uh, what ends up happening off screen is Satan, Pazuzu, Reagan kills Father Marin somehow. Father Karras is like, well, I got to do something. He asked Satan to like possess him instead of Reagan which Satan does, and then Father Karras is, like, possessed by Satan for, like, a hot second. He jumps out of a window and then dies. It's pretty much how the movie ends. So, for you, Kevin, like, what, what do you think it is about The Exorcist that makes it, like, such a classic? I think a lot of what makes it successful is that it's just genuinely like a good film. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we talked about this before, but it's not structured like a horror movie, like a classic horror movie, I should say. It's much more structured like a drama, like kind of Oscar Beatty drama. (laughs) It just has like in the middle a possession that's kind of horrific, although in my opinion, it's more hilarious. (laughs) Um, that's just like kind of like dropped in the middle of this like 
I don't know what you would call it, like crime noir sort of film, I guess. So like the structure of it is really, really good because of that. Like we get this classic like evidence building, like what's going on, things like that. We follow a police officer for like a hot second until we don't anymore. Uh yeah, it, it really just like goes through all the beats of like a good movie, I would say. But it doesn't really follow any of the beats of like a horror movie, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's like three different kind of parallel stories going on. And yeah. like the film as a whole could work. I think it's similar to The Fly in this way that it could just be a story about, you know, uh, a young girl starts suffering from like, you know, some really intense form of mental illness. Her right. mother is trying to fix all these things. And, you, you know, it, it has these kind of parallel there's, yeah, there's the detective story. There's Father Karras losing both kind of his faith and his mother. And yeah. then there's the possession and the kind of like failure of science to figure out what's going on with Reagan, all kind of working together at the same time. And so, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think it, it takes a lot of boxes. And I think there's a yeah. lot of just really good emotional storytelling, as well as your mother sucking cocks in hell and what yes. have you. Of course, we need both of those for a successful film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that I noted down is I think like the sound design of The Exorcist is really interesting. You know, it's it's one of those movies um, where if you're watching it in an apartment like we were, you know, you have to constantly be adjusting the volume because it'll be kind of like a, a quiet conversation in church. And then like the screaming of a train going by or like there's a scene early on in uh, one of the Iraq scenes where you have these dogs barking. And so you get these really jarring, really dissonant kind of soundscapes um, like contrasted with these more domestic scenes. And I think that's kind of true of the nature of the film as a whole, right? That it's always shifting between these smaller, quieter moments and these kind of like really screaming kind of frantic moments. And I think, I don't know, that that's something that really stood out to me watching it this time is just how much it, it manages to be really jarring and kind of intense feeling, even when there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah. And there's, like, this kind of, like, connect to that. There is this, like, big dichotomy between, like, the intimate, like, home scene uh, that we get introduced to at the beginning, or near the beginning, I should say, and, like, everything else that's going around it that's so, like, big and epic and, like, beyond this world, like, demons and religion and the church and everything. And, like, the way in which those two, like, interact with each other is kind of unnerving, almost. Like, I imagine that for, like, an audience back then in the day, like, seeing this, like, sweet girl, or annoying girl, in my opinion, like, Reagan (laughs) being, like, possessed by, like, literally Satan, and, like, doing all of these, like, crazy fucking things must have been really shocking to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like it's a film with dynamics, maybe yeah. is is the thing that I really feel with it, which I think, you know, you do and don't get in a lot of horror movies. I think it's something that's maybe particularly lost in a lot of sequels um, is those those quiet moments that let you breathe. Yeah. And I, I think that they do a really good job of, yeah, even making the quiet moments kind of disturbing. Uh, something I noticed early on is there's a lot of just kind of creepy people, you know, Karis goes to visit his mother in hospital and he's surrounded by these just like, you know, deeply mentally ill patients who are all kind of like, you know, they all think he's their son or, right. or something 
or similarly, you know, there's both like the possession stuff, but there's also like the medical psychiatry side of the film. And a lot of that is really disturbing, uh, at least for me. It is. Yeah. And like from a 2022 audience, like looking back at like medical technology in the seventies, literally like, I can't do math 40 years ago. (laughs) Almost 50 actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But like looking back, like, at medical technology 49 years ago it all just just looks very industrial very mechanical almost like cold just like all the procedures we have to do in order to examine someone's brain and kind of how horrific all of that is and you can kind of see it in like reagan as well like when she's like getting like things like put in her throat in order to like examine her brain like she's freaking out the whole time yeah yeah there's something like the one of the notes that I made last night when we were watching is that the the medical stuff feels like invasive and abusive yep. in the same way that the kind of evil spirit is is both invasive and, and abusive. Right. Right. And like while like the Catholic Church and medicine both like offer a kind of help to someone in order to like solve whatever issues they're going through, medicine feels a lot more impersonal. Mm-hmm. throughout everything like you just see like rooms full of doctors not really talking to reagan or not really interacting with her as a human being and really just like seeing her more as like a subject while like the catholic church is very much more interested in like the personal sort of thing which i guess is kind of where this like propaganda of like pro-catholic propaganda probably comes from is that like yeah. the church is much more interested in like the person uh helping out the person inside of this body uh, while medicine is more interested in treating this body as just like a piece of meat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that like maybe that's uh, one of the things that makes it work so much is it is very much rooted in a lot of like day-to-day life kind of mm-hmm. problems. Like again, Karis losing his mother, going through this kind of loss of faith, the the medical elements feeling very, you know, realistic and close to home, but also kind of disturbing. And even, you know, Reagan's mother is is recently divorced and we get the sense that it's been, you know, at least somewhat acrimonious, you know, that she right. doesn't even want to get in touch with him when their daughter is kind of going through all of this. Yeah, I mean, like her ex-husband's like mentioned once and that's only to say that she that he's in Europe and that's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that like maybe part of the beauty of of this film is, you know, there's so much time spent just kind of with the characters and a lot of it's happening before anything has gotten too serious. You know, I think a good chunk of, of this film, I think you could just recut and it is only about, you know, a 12 year old girl who's developing schizophrenia and, and kind of seeing that happen moment by moment. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's interesting too, how like, so usually the narrative between like, I guess mental illness and a religion is that like people back in the past thought that people who had mental illnesses were like possessed and now we know better and it's like kind of reversing that it's like we think this person who is possessed has just some kind of mental illness but no apparently the church was right the entire time and this person just has like a demon inside of them like even that of like having to go back is to like ways of thought that like we've discarded from a a long time ago is very uncanny it's yeah Freudian almost yeah well I think Freud even says in the uncanny you know that one form of the uncanny is that that return of like 
like repressed societal belief systems right that like you know we're not afraid of the dark anymore because we know that monsters aren't real and then what horror does is it surfaces that yeah we still kind of do think those things are real right right it's kind of proving that like this thing that we thought we knew that we could understand like medicine actually does not work and we have to go back to just faith which faith in itself is kind of scary to people who are used to like knowing everything yeah. Well, and Father Karras kind of straddles both of those worlds as like a priest and a trained psychiatrist. He's, right. I think, a really great entry point into kind of that debate. Yeah. Yeah. He never really goes like deep into his faith until literally the way end of the movie when he gets possessed by Satan. Yeah. Like even when he's trying to convince the Catholic Church that they should perform an exorcism, he's never actually like 100% convinced that Reagan is being possessed by a demon. Yeah, well, and I think that, um, so there's there's a section in Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol Clover, uh, which is an amazing, if if anybody, I don't know, occasionally reads film theory, it's the only time I've ever read theory, like, for fun, and I've read it a couple times. Um, but something she talks about is that exorcism films tend to follow that basic template of kind of, it's sort of science which is generally represented by kind of a male presence and then sort of a female presence that's that's representing these older uh modes of knowing Mm -hmm. uh, which i think kind of comes out from reagan's mother in the film and then you know the arc is sort of the the generally like male exorcist going through a change in in the process of 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 sort of experiencing these two different ways of knowing and i think that's really true that you know karis has a very human believable arc as a character Mm -hmm. from beginning to end. And we sort of see him going through loss, struggling to process loss, and then going through, I think a very kind of Christ-like sacrifice at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Makes him a very like compelling character. It kind of like helps us be, or like kind of helps us see ourselves in father Karis. Because, like, I feel like the average American, especially at this time, was, like, kind of in the same position. Like, I feel like the United States just as a whole culturally was kind of, like, dealing with, like, a crisis of faith, like, during the early 70s, when, like, so many people were starting to, like, get out of the church, become, like, not really interested in faith or religion anymore, when, like, prior to that, it was, like, an integral part of someone's identity. So, like, I feel like Father Karras kind of connects those two worlds pretty well, where people are just like, I don't know if I feel religious anymore. I'm kind of, like, more science based things like that. But, like, the second something weird happens, they go back into religion. Yeah, well, and I think it's also, you know, coming out in 73, it's sort of, like, you know, in the Vietnam era, the Watergate era, you know, it's it's a time that, yeah, people are, like, very much losing faith in authority Mm -hmm. uh there's even you know the the one scene of the film that we actually see them shooting uh that reagan's mother is in Mm -hmm. um is a college protest yeah 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 i think it's really it's really poignant that they decided to do that i feel like it kind of connects like all these big ideas big social big social movements that were happening from like the 60s to the 70s uh really into focus I think a really, really big example of that is like kind of the way sexuality sort of plays into this, which is kind of weird to say about it, like a movie that's like centered around a 12 year old girl. But like, I feel that like 
or it's very obvious to me, I should say, that like this possession sort of like thing or this possession sort of like metaphor is kind of like meant to represent sort of like puberty or like sort of like finding one's sexuality, things like that, or becoming like, yeah, I guess like becoming an adult, puberty. Yeah. It's like, you see like Satan, uh, you see um, Reagan as just this like really nice prototypical like 12 year old girl that anyone in the 50s would have loved turn into this like ugly blasphemous horny monster (laughs) yeah which like if there's not like that's kind of the best way that i can like describe puberty to anyone you become a ugly horny blasphemous monster (laughs) yeah and like it kind of shows how like her mother who is again this like prototypical uh I guess older style woman kind of reacts to that, which is like through horror. <laughs> like she's like legitimately afraid of her daughter because she is turning into this person. Yeah. Well, I know we've talked about um, pedophobia on on the show before, but yeah, I think this is like kind of the prototypical example of that, you know, of this kind of fear of, yeah, like our children are growing up into something that we can't recognize or relate with in the way that we always thought we'd be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, actually, because even Reagan's mom, I think on some level, she is like kind of right in the middle of like, she's a wealthy white woman in the right. 70s. But she's also, uh, you know, just gone through a divorce. She's part of this sort of bohemian film kind of crowd of people. You know, she's, I feel like somewhat kind of an image of like a modern right. woman. Yeah. Um, but it's also, yeah, yeah, kind of still connected to all of these fears. Yeah, it's very much like, I feel like this film is kind of like breaking away the facade that like, I guess, again, a lot of Americans must have had when they felt like they were just more advanced than like the previous generation who they saw as like people who were like old fashioned, very much holding on to religious ideals. But like once like things start getting difficult, things start getting tough a lot of people went back to those same ideals. Yeah. Well, and this is also the era of kind of the rise of the religious right, you know, Mm -hmm. which is very much responding to this feeling that like faith is kind of like losing ground in America. Yeah. It's very much speaking to that. I mean, like when things like Vietnam happen, when things like uh, the shooting of college protesters happen, things like that, you either get like camps that like go completely anti-authority, like anti-authority or go real hard into authority because it's the only thing that they know. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's definitely like a, a really clear parallel to modern day as well. Right. Or to, um, you know, the COVID crisis and yeah, just that we living in turbulent times, people tend to like divide really hard along, um, I guess kind of battle lines. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And this film is very much like about, this division and this battle between things like science and religion or like uh, freedom versus tradition, uh, purity versus, I guess, sluttiness, (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better term, I guess. And it seemed like throughout the entire film, that's a whole thing of it. And it's like what everyone is, what every character is pretty much going through. Yeah. Kevin, are you slut-shaming Reagan for fucking a crucifix? I am absolutely not slut-shaming Reagan for fucking a crucifix. I stand Reagan for fucking a crucifix, actually. <laughs> My favorite character in this film is literally Satan. I love him. <laughs> I love him in this film so much. Yeah, I mean, Reagan is, I think, as a modern viewer, kind of unbearable. I hate like, her. 
She is yeah. so annoying. Yeah, like before she gets possessed, there's a scene where she's just begging her mom for a horse. And it's like, okay, we get it. Um, we get it. You're a rich white girl in like fucking Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah, no, she becomes a lot more fun once she starts like vomiting on people yeah. and peeing on the floor. Saying people's moms are sucking cock in hell. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, do you have any last thoughts on The Exorcist or should we move to Exorcist 2, The Heretic? Nope, just the Exorcist is a really good movie. Cool. Well, I'll try and briefly summarize Exorcist 2. It is a fucking hot mess of a film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's difficult to summarize because yeah. it's so, like, incoherent. Much like the first movie, they it also has, like, a lot of strings happening at the same time. But, like, instead of, like, the strings kind of attaching themselves at the end, it's just kind of like they're going all over the place and none of it makes any goddamn sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and side note, uh, so the second film was directed by John Borman, mm-hmm. um, who I was trying to figure, remember like what he'd done, uh, but he directed Deliverance. Oh, did uh, he? He's like the thing he's most known for. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, he's like a, a filmmaker who, I mean, I have I have mixed feelings about Deliverance, but mm-hmm. like, he is a filmmaker with chops. Like, you know, he, yeah. he knows how to make movies. How apparently. did he fuck up so badly? <laughs> you know... I have thoughts on that, Um, or I have somebody else's thoughts on that, but we'll get to that. So, Exorcist 2. Priest Philip Lamont is sent to investigate the death of Father Marin from the first film, um, because some of Father Marin's writings are essentially being considered controversial by the church, uh, and they want to kind of squash a rumor that Marin was killed by Satan, because that sort of would be, you know, Satan triumphing over over God. Mm-hmm. And there are also ruin, uh, rumors that Father Marin was like a Satanist or something. It didn't really make a lot of sense. Not really, no. He meets a teenage Reagan who is living in New York City, and she's going through this really intense psychiatric work with Dr. Jean Tuscan. And it involves this tool called the synchronizer that essentially allows two people to be hypnotized simultaneously. And Reagan claims to have no memory of the events of the first film. And I don't really know if she does or not. It's kind of unclear because she starts to remember things or she remembered them all along. It's sort of hard to say. Yeah. So Father Lamont links with Reagan through the synchronizer, and he has a vision of Kakumo, who is a young boy in Africa somewhere. They just keep saying, like, yeah, he's in Africa. Just Africa. The entirety of it. Yeah. And so so Kakumo's a young boy in Africa who went through an exorcism led by Father Marin years earlier, which removed the demon Pazuzu. And so Father Lamont defies the church and goes to Ethiopia to meet Kakumo, uh, who's now an adult scientist who is studying locust swarms. And basically Lamont realizes that Pazuzu attacks people who have some kind of like special spiritual power or gifts, or maybe they're psychic. And so basically he realizes that Father Marin believed that there's this group of people with some kind of power who are going to lead humanity into some sort of new age. And so uh, he kind of set out to defend these people, I guess. And so that includes Reagan, who cures uh, a girl who's mute. Um, And it also includes this kid, Kakumo. 
So uh, he comes back to the U.S. Uh, Reagan and Lamont return to the house in Georgetown, and the demon like turns into like a weird, sexy Reagan. Which we checked Wikipedia afterwards, and she's supposed to be sixteen in the, this movie, which is fucked up. It's real weird. Um, real weird. And yeah, she, there's a lot of weird kind of like sexualized moments around her in this movie, and it's it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so they're in the house in Georgetown. Demon tries to seduce him in sexy Reagan form, and he ends up like choking her, and it's very, you know, very um, yikes. And there's a whole showdown, and then the house is torn apart by locusts. And I guess maybe the last note is that, like, in theory, the demon Pazuzu never fully left Reagan, I guess. I guess. Like, so, like, nothing that happened in the first film really matters or means anything. Pretty much. He's just been dormant in her for, like, what, five years? something like that (laughs) but then actually i i mean uh, jumping right in on my criticism of this movie it simultaneously like yeah so if if the demon wasn't actually fully cast out in the original film i think that kind of undercuts a lot of like what the film was doing and saying and you know the sacrifice of father karis at the end but then it also has this weird thing where it's like suddenly like everything that happened in the first film like all the people are suddenly hugely important you know reagan's not just kind of an average little girl she's some sort of like spiritual catholic superhero and pretty much um the father Marin isn't just a priest who had some experience with exorcism he's this weird guy who has this theory about like the future of mankind yeah it undercuts a lot of the film and a lot of what the first film was about i'm like mostly upset that they like retconned who it was that was like possessing reagan because like in the first film they like explicitly stay say it's like satan like the satan like the king of hell yeah and then it's just like jk it was actually pazuzu just this random demon that we were supposed to know slash care about i guess as a western audience yeah yeah i think it's simultaneously like trivializes the first film but also goes from being this very intimate human story to being this kind of like globe spanning future of humanity story it very much tries to make it something that's like a lot more epic something that's like a lot more like i don't know national treasury where it's just just like this means this thing and i'm doing archaeology and all this stuff connects man yeah, yeah, Reagan's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, she is, actually, yeah. Yeah, you know, I have a spurious, unresearched theory, I guess. Give it to me. That, so, so Exorcist to the Heretic came out a year after The Omen, mm-hmm. and I wonder if it's trying to capture something similar, you know, that, like, Damien is sort of, like, uh, the Antichrist who's born into a family of power, and so so everything in that film does have this kind of, like, cosmic sort of end of days um undercurrent i guess right um and so i wonder if it's trying to do the same kind of thing and it's it's hard right because you know it's only a year later that it came out so they could have been shooting it even like the same time right who knows if the script would have been done but it feels like it's shooting for that same sort of both like cosmic but also like globe spanning sort of feel i mean it makes sense like 
Reagan in this film, as opposed to like the first film when she was just like a normal girl who just happened to be possessed. Like in this film, she very much is like an almost Christ figure. Yeah. Like all she wears is like white nightgowns that make her look very holy, very virginal. And like at the end, we literally see her like good Reagan opposed to bad, sexy Reagan. So it's like a Christ antichrist sort of battle. And like Reagan has apparently these superpowers where she can heal people, I guess. Apparently. Yeah. So like she's very much supposed to be like this superhuman figure. That's not even to mention the fact that she's like has this obsession with like doves as well. Yeah, yeah. When it's it's really I mean, so so I think the characters in Exorcist 2 are a mess. Yeah. It's it's so like um you know, Father Lamont just has no personality except for, like, he's intense. Yeah. And, like, Reagan alternates, I think, really uncomfortably between sort of seeming like, okay, maybe she's an adult. Maybe she's a teenager. Maybe she's, like, a little kid. Like, right. her, she, there's no, she's really hard to pin down, I guess. Um, her accent's like, really hard to pin down, too. She, like, goes into this weird southern accent sometimes for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and so I feel like there's this this problem that like, you know, so so Father Karras, say, I think has a very clear, understandable arc as a character, you know, and we see how he changes. And um I cannot think of Reagan's mom's name for the life of me. Chris. Chris, yeah. yeah. I think also has uh you an arc that we can relate to that she kind of turns to science, science fails, she turns to faith, and then you know, faith is kind of able to save her daughter. Right. Um Whereas in the second film, it's really hard to say how, like, any of the characters change, really. And they're all, like, alternately, like, I think Father Lamont is just incredibly flat and uninteresting and just kind of creepy. And Reagan is just, like, I don't, there's, like, four different personalities and, like, none of them make sense. Yeah. She takes up tap dancing and oh, so yeah, a couple does. tap dancing scenes. Tap dancing for the devil. Yeah, gotta tap the devil away. <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. Like, none of the characters change very much. The only one that I can think of that changes is the psychiatrist lady, whose name I forgot. Yeah, I think it's Jean. Jean, that's right. The only person that changes in the film is Jean. And it's very abrupt. And it's, like, way at the end in, like, a single line. And, like, it it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, she she starts off being this, like, hard science everything scientific works even though i have this hypnotism machine that i can see your thoughts through because yeah, science. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally just an ekg with a strobe light on it but then like towards the end of the film seeing all this fucking crazy shit happening like i think sharon which is one of the minor fairly minor characters just asks her like who's the cause of this like say his name and she's like pazuzu it's like okay why do you suddenly why did you suddenly switch so hard like without any yeah. like without any like build up to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to harp on the sexual subtext, but it's kind of it's like kind of hard not to on it's some a level. Very sexual film, but it's like uncomfortably sexual. <laughs> yeah, when I I think you know again like Reagan being sixteen in the film is really really weird yeah um but yeah. even so like the the meditation uh or not meditation the hypnotism machine mm -hmm. that they use has this um 
repeating note and so to get the to get both people in sync you essentially have to match the pitches right. uh, which apparently they do with their brains or something um but there's a lot of reagan and her therapist staring directly into a light and just being like deeper deeper go lower <laughs> it's just very like okay i mean and their faces are like very orgasmic as they're going into like this trance it's all yeah. really uncomfortable yeah i we also just have to talk about like africa as oh, yeah. a thing in this movie <laughs> just all of it yeah i mean it's funny like you can tell i mean so this at the time was a pretty high budget movie like yeah. um According to Wikipedia, it was about a $14 million budget. That's really high budget, especially back then, especially for a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they they had money. They used the same, like, horrible green screen shot of a locust about a thousand times, and it looks like ass. They really loved that, like, royalty-free shot of the locust that they got. Yeah. They were, like, milking everything they could get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, all of the sets in, like, the Africa scenes feel very like they look like shitty like 60s star trek sets um everything's really smoky i'm pretty sure they literally are (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean i think there's very much like a like an orientalism to the film oh yeah a lot of it yeah really gross feeling um in in a lot of moments where it's just like we only see like abject poverty and these kind of like backwards people mm-hmm. um at some point they think that father lamont is like a demon or something and just start throwing rocks at him i, I guess like the underlying philosophy of the film feels very gross kind of yeah. beginning to end to me yeah and it's weird that like kakomo kakumo i forgot his name i, I think it's kakumo kakumo that's right it's very I think it's very telling that Kakumo is like both this like tribalistic messiahistic figure, like at the beginning when Father, oh uh, Marin, Father Marin, uh, that's right. This like very messiahistic figure when like Father Marin first meets him, and then like when he goes through like this weird portal thing, <laughs> he becomes a scientist dude, and it's like yeah. it's almost like trying to like juxtapose these two worlds of like tribalism uh deep religiosity um i guess non-western ways of thought and life against things like reason science uh things like that and it just feels very uncomfortable throughout it it's all just feels very insulting <laughs> towards africans yeah we should note um that the like adult version of kakumo is actually played by james earl jones he is so you get like the darth vader voice too it's just darth vader really loves locusts yeah he has this whole thing about how it's like when locusts get wings that's when they swarm and destroy crops so they have like the good locust that doesn't have wings oh my god i'm so over locusts i still don't understand what locusts have to do with the film like you get like a whole like hour and a half almost of just like locust lore and then you get this like scene where james earl jones is just telling you neat facts about locusts in a lab yeah (laughs) and it's like what does this have to do with the film (laughs) yeah well so okay so here's my reading of it 
so so basically okay so father Marin has this idea that there are like psychic people out there who are being right. targeted by demons so the um yeah <laughs> uh yeah um, so so psychic people being targeted by demons okay and so both reagan and kakuma are people who have some kind of psychic power and so Marin's theory is that these psychic people will create some sort of new i think shared consciousness okay and so i think what it's saying is essentially that reagan is the good locust that doesn't swarm and eat crops um so like humankind are are locusts and we're kind of caught between being the bad locusts that like pillage the earth or like the good locusts that wear white and like doves i feel like that metaphor is like way too they're going way too hard into it and not explaining it enough at the same time yeah when it's it's kind of baffling because you know the first film is very rooted in you know catholicism yeah um you know that 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 it's it's theologically i think i want to say like airtight and that's not really the word i'm looking for and i don't think anybody would really say that theologically sound i guess like all of it all of the theology parts either like are accurate or at least are conceivably accurate yeah like i guess it feels like it's it's consistently within the bounds of catholicism yeah yeah whereas i think there's this weird kind of like new agey sort of element to this film that feels both i mean like incomprehensible and dumb and makes no sense in context of the original film but also just feels weird that it's sort of mixing like catholicism with like yeah like the like higher consciousness of humankind it's very strange well cool what um what did you have as far as like i guess pitches or you know ideas for i mean honestly with this it sort of feels like they could have done almost anything else and it probably would have been better uh yeah yeah uh i mean my my pitch for this is like first and foremost not that not exorcist (laughs) 2 the exact opposite of that (laughs) but it is very much just like keeping in in touch with this with what the first sectors was trying to do which is kind of like this invasion of like outside ideals or morals or this changing world and the invasion of that into the home so i would kind of do something if i had to make a sequel which like i don't i really don't think the exorcist needs a sequel but like if i had to do one it would be kind of similar things like it would be somebody being possessed in a home and kind of their family dealing with that i kind of thought that instead of like someone like reagan who is like a small girl who's like going through all of this i thought almost like it should be maybe like a grown-ass like adult woman who's like doing all these things and like the person that's taking care of her is like her husband or something and like instead of like it being about puberty sexuality things like that it could be more of like gender roles and like how uh especially like in the 70s women are starting to get more power in the workspace or are getting at least are starting to become more egalitarian in the household very much like ideas of second wave feminism sort of like popping up and how that kind of like is a demon i guess (laughs) which like for people who are like well into like the fourth wave of feminism second wave feminism is like what your grandma thinks probably but <laughs> right right <laughs> but back then it was revolutionary 
Yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting pitch. It's funny. It's actually really close to um, the plot of Antichrist, the Lars von Trier film, if you've ever seen that. I haven't, no. I have extremely mixed feelings about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is kind of, uh, you know, it, it follows a married couple. It's dealing with um, a certain kind of image, I guess, of a female hysteria that I think is more, I don't know, you know, more nuanced than, than like 19th century medicine. But, but yeah, that, that kind of um, breakdown within this marriage. Um, I do think that pitch has some like really interesting yeah. ways that it could go. Or even like putting it, I just had this idea right now, like putting it in, in a nunnery would be interesting too. Oh. Like in the 70s, there was a lot of a lot of revolutionary stuff happening within Catholicism that mostly had to do with the uh, civil rights movements. Like, it's actually kind of surprising for a lot of people back then, but like a lot of Catholics, especially like nuns and stuff, really supported the civil rights movements. So it'd be interesting to like see like... I don't know, that kind of like going even further of like just this nun being possessed by a demon, like demanding this much power, things like that. And kind of how the Catholic Church would have to like respond to that almost. Because in the Catholic Church, especially at that time, really female practitioners are starting to like demand or like ask, I guess I should say, for more equality. That is really interesting. And I love like... The convent as a setting, I think you could do a lot of really, really interesting things with. Because, you know, I mean, like, the stuff that Reagan is doing is shocking in, like, secular-ish society. But setting it in kind of, like, this incredibly, maybe more kind of, like, regimented, strict sort of world, I think you could have really interesting results. I think it'd be cool. I'm just worried that it would turn into The Nun, which I've heard is really bad. (laughs) yeah you know i've been wanting to see it because like i know that it's gonna be hot garbage but i'm also like well you know i mean maybe it's fun hot garbage it could be i like fun hot garbage it's my favorite kind of garbage yeah i mean that's why i do this (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you and me both yeah no i think that's really interesting and i I think you could like all right i mean i guess i think we could explore like you know who in the convent because like what if it's like the is it the mother superior that's kind of the head honcho yeah mother superior's in charge of a specific convent yeah yeah so like thinking about you know like what if a person who actually has a lot of authority Mm -hmm. is possessed as opposed to you know a a child who has you know no authority over anything it'd be interesting because if a mother superior was possessed by a demon they'd have to get the priest uh who's always a male figure obviously involved in that yeah the priest of that um i forgot what the word is but like whatever yeah parish parish essentially the priest of the parish pretty much to take care of that because he is who she would like go to she he would be the person that's like one step above her yeah yeah it's interesting i mean i think um you know as i mentioned earlier that like exorcist exorcism films i guess generally do have like a very specific gender dynamic um and i think you know the pitch that you're suggesting is like really playing with like what that dynamic looks like and what that can do would be really interesting yeah yeah i think so i like exploring that idea but anyway what is like your pitch for like a potential sequel so i had a really hard time with this one actually um and in part so 
Exorcist three um, is a movie that I actually really like, or I think it's like 75% of a great film. Um, and I believe there was some studio fuckery that is kind of what undercuts elements of it. Okay. Um, and so on some level it was hard for me to pitch cause I almost feel like I have a better pitch for like how you would fix exorcist three, which is cut out a bunch of special effects stuff and like change the ending. But so, so that film actually follows, there's a dead serial killer. Mm-hmm. There have been these copycat murders um, and it follows the police officer from the first film mm-hmm. who's investigating that and gradually finds, you know, connections and ties between the the events that are current in the film and right. um, the events in Georgetown. And so that's a really interesting movie. I actually would say I would recommend Exorcist 3. It has famously what's considered like the greatest jump scare of all time. And it is incredibly well crafted. Um and it's actually based on the novel that William Peter Blatty wrote as a sequel to The Exorcist. And he also wrote the screenplay and directed it. So it is very much the kind of original author's continuation of the story. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen Exorcist 3, but just by like reading the synopsis and like knowing about like how you feel about it, I can confidently say that it is definitely better than Exorcist 2. Oh, I mean, yeah, I think that is empirically <laughs> true. That might be a fun episode at some point, just like fixing Exorcist 3. That would um, be fun, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, it does, it has a lot of things, I think, that really work for it. And it does feel genuinely different from the original film in a lot of ways. But I think captures some of the same kind of philosophical debates that the original film is having. And mm-hmm. It's interesting that it goes into like serial killer territory when like, I can't really imagine the exorcist doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's very much like a sequel that changes genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, the original film also has that kind of procedural side to it and it's sort of like True. inflating that element. As far as original pitches, I actually like the locust as a motif in exorcist too. <laughs> Why? Um, well, okay. So the way they did it is <laughs> absolute horseshit. Um, but I, I think that there is something really interesting, you know, the locusts uh, being one of the 10 biblical plagues of Egypt um, and being kind of like a recurring motif in the Bible itself. Right. I think the locust is interesting as this kind of all consuming force that sort of invades. So I potentially doing something with locusts. Okay. I kind of wonder about a film that is Reagan's process of gradually starting to recall what happened in Georgetown. Hmm. And so then the film is kind of her grappling with that side of her past. And then it needs to be paired with something. Cause that's a B plot, I think. Yeah. But I don't know what the A plot is. Maybe, maybe she joins a convent and that's sort of like where the elements sort of start to intersect. It'd be, it'd be interesting to like, See Reagan being like instead of a person who is possessed by the devil slash Pazuzu, someone who like maybe does the exorcism or like helps out with an exorcism. Because like who else like who would be better to like help out with an exorcism than like someone who was exorcised and had like a demon in her? Yeah, that's I mean that's really interesting, and I I think you know Reagan becoming kind of part of the clergy could be like a really interesting element and and does feel kind of like a natural movement for her character you know there's a moment at the end of uh at the end of the original film where she hugs a a priest and and we kind of get the sense that like 
she doesn't know what happened, but she does feel this sense of gratitude. So I don't think it would be yeah. out of place for her character to move that direction. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that, like, especially as she's figuring out what has happened to her, hers like go much deeper into her faith because it's like the thing that's pretty much saved her life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's about all I had. I think. Um, again, it's like there's the part of my brain that would normally be making pitches for Exorcist 2 is already full right. up of like Exorcist 3. That's valid. Why Locust, though, is is all I wonder. <laughs> like, if you want to go with like plagues, why not like frogs or boils or things like that? Raining fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. I don't know. I think this is a shitty pitch, but suddenly I'm thinking about like, what if like the 10 plagues of Egypt happened in like Washington, DC? Um, that is but a I, very like, shitty pitch. Yeah, I already <laughs> hate it. <laughs> what if the Prince of Egypt happened in Washington, DC? You're playing with the big boys now. This is my home. <laughs> God, that is a good film. I love that movie. It's one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters when I was it's a kid. A good, it's good. I can't believe DreamWorks went from that to Shrek in like the span of four years. Yeah. Well, uh, any uh, any last thoughts on the first two Exorcist movies? Uh, no, just that like I can very much see why the first Exorcist was nominated for Oscars and won a couple of them, I think. Uh, and I can very much see why Exorcist 2 currently has a 10% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, a very well-earned 10%. It, It deserves that. Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, and do whatever else you usually do with podcasts, I don't know. Thank you for listening.